but it's Wednesday night and we want to um, we want to worship the Lord we want to um, just enjoy whatever we can enjoy spiritually speaking tonight so God bless you as we sing Road, I know 
our spirits to the Father. Oh Lord, I need to feel your presence and the joy in my soul and the sweet peace that only comes when Jesus has control. I don't want to walk this road. I know where it ends. <clears throat> Your spirit once again. Oh yes, but I'm yours. 
and set me free. I'm glad I'm yours, Lord. So glad I'm yours. I'm glad I'm yours, Lord. So glad I'm yours. I'm glad your mercy has followed me. I'm glad you found me and set me free. the Lord. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you this Wednesday night that we are so appreciative, Lord, that we are yours. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that has reached down into our various lives and brought us here tonight and brought us some various backgrounds in life. And you brought us here tonight, and we want to say how much we appreciate you for your mercy and your goodness. Lord, we thank you in the midst of this international crisis, this worldwide crisis, that you can still keep your people free. And keep your people covered, Lord, and we appreciate your protection, not because we're worthy of it, but because you're gracious and you're a good God and you're a faithful Father. We thank you, Lord, for every time we meet in this assembly and in this building that we can feel your presence and we can feel a touch from your hand, O oh God. Continue to work with us, Father. Bless this service tonight and let not your word return void unto you but accomplish your purpose and plan in every one of our lives. Meet the needs of your people tonight. We bring every assembly that's meeting here in North America at this very time or close to this time, Father, meeting tonight. We ask that you'll be with them. Touch the ministers, touch the elders, touch the saints. Protect your people, we ask, Father, we beseech you that you'll protect your people in this land. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen, amen and amen and amen. Well, I thought <clears throat> I came on in and it felt like Wednesday night. And on Wednesday night, it's a wonderful night to be in God's house. I'm thinking that this past weekend was to me. And sometimes the preacher uh, thinks a little different than the congregation in that sometimes you preach the word and it's much of it is meant for you and you get inspired you get blessed well since the pandemic started since march i thought the messages that the lord gave us on saturday night and sunday were to me the most challenging messages in my life as a pastor as an individual and during this period of time I've reassessed a lot of things in my own life and I could say you're 
You're giving God praise for the negatives in life. There's a lot of negative things in life. And you want to give God praise for... How can you praise God for the negative things in life? Well, when James wrote, he said the same thing. And he says, rejoice. Let me find that scripture. Maybe that's where we'll go tonight. Not exactly. That's not what I have in mind. But... um. It's a beautiful verse of scripture to reflect on in the uh, little epistle of James. And in the very first chapter, James is writing, James, he says, A servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Unlike most of the other epistles, uh, James, and it seems like the book, uh, Paul's letter to the Hebrews, are addressing the Jews in particular. And James, more specifically, does not seemingly include the Gentiles much in here, but he says, James to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. What a way to introduce the letter. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Uh, the margin in my Oxford Bible says it should be translated instead of diverse temptations, it should be trials. And last week we talked about uh, Peter mentioning that think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. And every individual, because we have become from a different background, we come from a different source, we have different problems. I might be sitting here tonight and I have impatience uh, in my life. Another person might be sitting in the congregation that has a different uh, physical problem or spiritual problem. And so God has a plan for each one of us. And when he brings a trial in your life, it's not accidental. But it is the goodness of God that reaches into your life and takes you through a situation to better equip you with your concept of yourself, with a better understanding as to what lies in your heart and what God needs to work out of your life. And so James says, he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the trying of your faith work at patience. This past weekend, uh, we covered some very important areas, and I thought the message on conversion, uh, conversion uh, was very, very enlightening. Because it's not conversion ever so often. See, conversion is a process. But if I start on a journey and I find that I'm going backward, I come and I make some changes and make some promises, and then I find that I'm going backward uh, suddenly after two or three years or maybe ten years, I find that I'm slipping back into what I used to be, then you want to ask yourself, was I really converted to start with. Um, and so it's, it's important that I understand that. I understand that each one of us need a conversion experience. And it is strange that when you come into church, the first generation 
I might come to the Lord. I might be a junket or I might be a gambler or some ridiculous sinner out there in the world. And I come on in to the uh, church. I get saved. I, I hear a message in salvation. I change my life. I ask the Lord to cleanse me from my past sins. And uh, when you think about thoughts like this, you understand what Jesus meant when he taught his disciples the pattern prayer. He says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then he goes down to that part. He says, Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those that trespass against me. And what it's asking, is it this a daily approach that I make to God, that I should not let the sun go down on my wrath, but I should at the end of each day ask God to cleanse me from whatever sin I committed that day, whether knowing or unknowingly. And so it is important that I understand that. And we can start on a journey and I am accepting the Lord, but then my children are born in church. And I feel they're born as Christians, but not really, unless the Lord has a, a process and a starting point of conversion in their lives, uh, unless they have a personal experience with the Lord for themselves, they will struggle as the years go by. It is important. I think it is absolutely important that everyone receives a conversion experience. But I can look back at uh, the past 20 years, my parents were in church, and I look at some of the kids in this assembly, and a lot of them were born in the church. There were uh, parents give birth while they were in the church, and you take for granted that your child is saved, when really and truly it is not. And then you have to assess your own self. Am I converted? Am I changed from darkness into light? And so conversion, like we talked about on the weekend, is important. In Colossians, the very first chapter, Paul writing to the church at Colossae, and he makes some beautiful statements. And uh, one of the things he talked about here in that uh, first chapter of Colossians, and uh, you and I know that it seemingly uh, Paul did not start this church at Colossae. Uh, it might have been started by this brother's name in verse 7, who was called Epaphras. Uh, it seems like this assembly was started by Epaphras because when I tried to find out who started this church, I struggled because I couldn't find in the Acts of the Apostles where Paul started this church. And that's the only account I have. The only account I have of Paul's missionary journeys is what Luke gave us in the Acts of the Apostles. Amazingly, I am rather surprised that there were no other uh, information or document available for us to find, you know, more accounts and more information concerning all of this that transpired from the day of Pentecost right down to the ending of the Acts of the Apostles. And so Paul writing here, he says, giving thanks, verse 12. He said here, back up a little, he says, verse 10, that you might walk worthy 
of the Lord unto all pleasing. It means there is always this, this demand, this, this exhortation for discipleship, that we walk worthy, that we don't walk as Gentiles walk. Uh, Paul also mentioned this in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. But here it says in, in Colossians, the, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, that you walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being faithful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And then he comes here, he says, giving thanks, verse 12. He says, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, there is a difference with individuals that are walking out here, smart individuals, some are moral individuals, some are good people, but there's a difference with, with the this child of God or the individual that God has touched their lives and take them out of spiritual darkness, spiritual darkness and brought them into a pathway of light. Uh, the world is full of darkness. It, there is gross darkness, often described as the night. And when we come to the Lord, the Lord touches our lives and he does a conversion over and we start to receive light rather than darkness because we are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, <clears throat> I, there are creatures in the world that are nocturnal. When I say nocturnal, they are creatures of the night. Uh, while some of us, uh, we live in the day, we understand what's in the day, there are animals that come out in the night because they were made that way. Uh, the raccoon, for example. Uh, when the evening is coming, I have some of them living on my willow, and when the evening is, is drawing close and the place starts to go in twilight, it starts to get a little dark, that's when they wake up uh, from their daytime sleep and they come down. Well, children of God, prior to conversion, we're all nocturnal, spiritually speaking. We walk in darkness and we are comfortable with a life of darkness. We feel very accommodating to a life that's ungodly. But when the light of the glorious gospel shines in our hearts, it brings about that attention. Uh, there is a difference here now. And so the Lord is what he's doing. He's taking the children of darkness, you and I, and bringing us into a path of light. Now I can come on in and think I understand what's light, but you see, unless you experience light in your life, the conversion process is not really in its fullness. And so Paul is writing here, he says, giving thanks unto the Father, which had made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who had delivered us, the God has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now it sounds bad when you said darkness. I was never in darkness. Well, we were all in darkness. When you lack that spiritual illumination, when you lack that, uh, that conversion experience and salvation coming into your life, you are in darkness. Now, if you walk down the street and you ask, you meet a man that never went to church all his life, and you said, sir, how are you? And he says, I'm fine. And you tell him, you said, you're lost. He would say, no, I'm not. 
What do you mean I'm lost? You're lost. He wouldn't know what you're talking about because as far as he's concerned, he pretty well know where he is. But you see, when we hear the gospel and the light of the gospel starts to shine in our hearts, we understand that, you know what? I thought I knew the path. I thought I knew where I was going. I thought I had life really good. But now I'm understanding that what I think was life, it's really darkness and death. And my destiny is already uh, determined by my the step, steps I'm taking, my lifestyle. And so when we come into, uh, come em when we embrace the kingdom of light, Jesus, Paul, this, uh, John described him as uh, the Lord, he came, light came into the world. But men love darkness rather than light. Hold your finger. And uh, in Colossians here, and we're coming back, we're still a little bit on this conversion uh, subject, right? In John's gospel, right into the gospel of John. And John, he has a completely different approach than the rest. Uh, he said here in John, and the most beautiful part is in the first chapter, he says, in him, that is in Jesus. He goes through, I don't want to take the whole thing and take the whole night. But I thought we'd relax tonight, right? Uh, as best as we can. He says here in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the word, uh, that was the word describing Jesus. And the word was with the Father, that is, was with God. And the word was God. He was God as creator. It says the same was in the beginning with God. Uh, it shows accompaniment. And it says uh, all things were made by him. That is by the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, and some other time we'll get into this. But you in this congregation would know what we teach. That the father... Jesus was the firstborn of God's creation, and then Jesus made everything else. The Father made one being, his name was Jesus, and he created him, and then Jesus created everything else. But we're not talking about that tonight. Tonight we're going into here, talking more about Jesus. It says in verse, verse 4, in him was life. In Jesus was life, always life. And the life was the light of men. And the light, when he came into this world, that light shined, uh, shined in darkness. And the darkness could not overpower it, uh, could not conquer it. He came on in and his light remained. You see, this room is a big room. And um, we struggled to get the right lighting for here. We came up... We, all kinds of con suggestions we come up with. And one of these days, we'll be able to have the proper lighting. If you don't have the proper lighting, you can see the videos. And so we need proper lighting. We've tried all kinds of methods. Because we're not, you know, that professional individuals with uh, three, $4,000 for a camera. We can't afford that. We're not Hollywood. We're doing our best with what we've got. Someone says, do what you can where you are with what you have now. And so that's what we're doing. We are using what we have now. But light is important. And if this entire church goes into darkness, one stick of match would light up this whole place. I don't know all the details and the statistics 
that they have concerning how light travels. Uh, but uh, Jeremiah knows some, and Brother John knows a lot, uh, where how long it takes for the light to travel. And he was telling me the other day, he says, you know that star you see blinking? It might not even be there anymore. It took so long to reach the earth that the light might not even be there no more, but now you see it. Well, that's too deep for me. I prefer to get deep scripture than deep astronomy. But um, light is important to understand. If, you, if there is no light, your eyes have no purpose in existence. If there is no light, your eyes, you don't need them. The eyes are a part that the eyes and with it, what it's made up and its components is made up, need light to filter into it so it can, it can recognize things. Uh, there's a lot to be said on that. Uh, one time we were in a place in Tennessee called Bristol Caverns. And that was many, many years ago. Uh, when we just came into the United States, we went into the Bristol Caverns right down to the bottom. And when we went there, they had a, a sort of a little lake or a little stream down there, and they would put the lights on. When they put the lights on, they said, the fish that live down here don't have eyes. They don't need eyes because normally it's dark. And you have eyes, but if there's no light, your eyes cannot see. Well, spiritually, it is the same thing. Uh, you're, you are in darkness, but God has touched your mind and darkness is being removed and light is coming in because our soul needs light uh, in order to come alive. I see in it, Paul, uh, John went on here. He says, the light shineth in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. He said, there was a man that sent from God whose name was John. The same came to bear witness to bear witness of the light. Jesus is called the light. And that is important. He goes on, he was not, John was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And I see this word now occurring over and over and over in the first chapter. And when you come over to the third chapter of John, uh, it's, it's amazing that one of the most popular scriptures in the Bible is John 3.16. Everybody knows John 3.16. Even if you don't read your Bible, most people. If, you don't, if you're a Christian and don't know John, 3, uh, John chapter 3 and verse 16, you're really in bad shape. Uh, here, here it says, when uh, John, uh, John, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, verse 16, that whosoever believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the light came to give us an opportunity for salvation. And that is what we talked about, that beautiful scripture in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4 that says that God sent his son, Jesus came into this world to save us from our sins and to deliver us from this present evil world. You cannot be delivered from this present evil world if you're not saved from your sins. If you don't have a salvation experience, it's absolutely difficult for you to be delivered from this present evil world. And your attraction and your yieldedness to this present evil world is an expression 
of the lack of salvation in your life. When you are addicted to this world and you are enslaved by this world, it is actually telling you that you need a conversion experience in your life. And it's not a light message. Saturday night message was not a light message. It's a message that should be taken seriously. And why I'm saying that is because it is supported by scripture. Uh, someone was telling me that, you know, you uh, think about it. You're learned in the scriptures. You're brought up in the scriptures. Uh, you memorize the scriptures. You can quote the scriptures. You get a degree in scripture, scriptural knowledge. When we went to high school, one of the subjects we studied in high school was called scripture. And so scripture was necessary. I passed scripture at the GC level. It was one of the subjects I passed. And you had to study scripture. Well, uh, the Jew had to understand scripture. Uh, it was a custom of the Jewish boy by the time he reached that a certain age to be able to understand the Torah, understand the, uh, the, the laws of God, the Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the books of the law, the books of Moses are the Torah. And then he had to understand the prophets. And so when you think about it, here are individuals uh, in, in the, before Jesus came that for years, from Malachi to Matthew, their job was to study the scriptures. And Jesus said that one time to his disciples, to the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures. And they did search the scriptures. They did have a knowledge. The reason why the Pharisees called the disciples unlearned and ignorant was because they had an education in scriptures and the, and the disciples did not have that kind of education. And the Pharisees felt, with an educated knowledge, uh, you're okay before God. As long as you know it and you do your best to keep it, you're fine. Okay, as long as you have that understanding. Well, there are individuals, we're coming back to that subject in a little bit here. But let me finish here. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe it on him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world well why didn't he condemn the world well I'll tell you why the B says uh, but the world through that uh, but that the world through him might be saved well why didn't he condemn the world well because the world was already condemned he came Jesus came to a world in darkness when Jesus came into Israel with the Torah and the prophets and the knowledge that the Pharisees had, they were in darkness. They that sat in darkness saw a great light. That light that came was Jesus. And the education and religious understanding of the religious element of that time did not open their spiritual understanding to God. They were in darkness quoting, uh, quoting from the, the, the Torah and the prophets. And that is what Jesus meant. Anyhow, you remember I'm getting back to that? But let me go on here. It says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he believeth not on the uh, name of the only begotten Son of God. Um, 
Today I saw, let me not get on that, uh, time is always against us. It says, verse 19, and this is the condemnation. What is the condemnation of the world when light is come into, into the world? And we're reading this scripture, but let's apply to ourselves that light is offered from this congregation to this congregation ever so often. I sat in, 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 in this congregation on the weekend, and I'm going to share with you an experience. I sat here and I looked at the congregation, and what COVID-19 did, it made the church look full because it spaced everybody out. And so when you look this side, all the pews had people. It did not jam-pack, but all the pews. And you can look, and it was like a full congregation, if it, even though we would all fit on one side if we jammed together. And I said, hey, this looks good. What a bunch of good disciples. And you know, when you think about that right away, something tells you. You have more followers on Facebook. Well, you see, Facebook followers don't demand discipleship. I follow you, follow you, I follow you. I got over 4,000 followers on Facebook. I don't know where they're following and where they're going. <laughs> but worse than Facebook is the saints that sit in the congregation, and I look at the congregation, and I ask myself, you're looking at 50-something people sitting in church. I wonder how many people really follow you. That's the question I ask. Don't look at the number. I wonder how many really believe in what you preach. How many are real followers? And that is something, if the Bibles were all, all the Bibles in the world disappeared, I'll be a discouraged man. You know why? Because I'm glad they did, it did, they did not disappear because I can read how Paul struggled. And I can read how Peter struggled. And I can read Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. And they killed Jeremiah and they killed Isaiah and they killed all his prophets. And it makes me feel I'm not the only one rejected. It gives me the examples of scripture. Give me that encouragement I need to carry on. So here is the problem. He came into, he came to the Gentile nations when Jesus came. He went to India and he went to Africa and all these places. Is that where he went? No, no he came to the learned Israelites. He came to his own. The ones that would break down the door of the temple to get in if it was closed. They were the religious people. Deep, steeped in religion. And so it says, and this is the condemnation, light is coming to the world, but men, which men? The so-called religious men. See, it's one thing to follow the, the laws of God, the moral laws of God. It's another thing to be hooked on just traditional man-made principles and laws. And this is a problem we always have because we can make laws and make principles that is man-made to accommodate us. And when we are accommodated in our hypocrisy, we'll never really follow the Lord with the true conversion experience. 
And when I say conversion, I'm talking to us preachers, I'm talking to the congregation, I'm talking to elders, I'm talking to everybody, not just the kids. The kids need an experience, <clears throat> but the years, uh, years that we have been a part of a fellowship, we might have incorporated concepts and doctrines and ideas and philosophies that's not ordained of God. That is why I love the message on Sunday. That says it was given to John, not from a tradition, not from your past leaders. As a matter of fact, I love my past leaders, but I can't follow anybody from the past. I take what good they say, I build a foundation, use it as a foundation to stand on, but I need to follow what God is telling me to do in today's world. I need to examine what was passed on to me and see if it's relevant to Christian living today. I need to find out if we're just doing it mechanically or we're willing to follow what the Lord really wants us to do. Because tradition, human tradition, can void out a desire for, to pursue holiness and godliness. That is why Sunday was good. Saturday was wonderful. Sunday was even greater because it showed us that down the road ahead of us, the Lord will give power unto his two witnesses, just like the early church apostles needed that power. Now, tell me something. Didn't the early church apostles before the day of Pentecost heal the sick? Jesus sent them out to heal the sick, raise the dead. That's not the power I'm talking about. I'm talking about when the Holy Ghost comes, it's called Holy Ghost. It will lead you into the paths of holiness. It will produce the fruit of the Spirit, which will undermine the workings of the flesh. It will take darkness out of your life and bring light. And a godly lifestyle would be established. You and I can try our best to live for God, but if we don't have the assistance of the Holy Ghost and a genuine conversion experience, we'll struggle. With the Holy Ghost, you will understand better why a man would stand up there while he is in the arena, in the prison under the arena, and he look at his family being torn by lions, and he still would not deny the Lord. It takes the Holy Ghost to do that. And we cannot survive the days that are coming ahead without a baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so light, back into light here. It says, and the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be manifest. But he that doeth truth, doeth, doeth. You see, it's a lifestyle. He that doeth truth, uh, cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest. And so, here we are. Wonderful weekend we had. Conversion is an absolute necessity. Without the Lord saving us from our past sins, we cannot defeat the world and conquer the darkness that surrounds us. Because inherent in each one of us is a nature that's fallen and depraved. It's like telling a lion not to eat meat. Our fallen nature wants to do contrary. Paul says, There's a, there, I would like to do good, but evil is present with me. He did not refer to himself, but he was talking about the fallen nature. And so it's important. 
here in the, before we go back to Colossians, I'm marking that spot. I'm turning back a little further on to Matthew's gospel. And that is why this element that Jesus met uh, when he came on this earth, the lawyers and the doctors and the elite, and these that study the scriptures, Jesus said that. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have life, but they testify of me. How come you don't know? How come you're looking for a Messiah, and the scripture says a virgin shall conceive, and when my mother conceived, you call her a fornicator? Because spiritual blindness, logics does not bring an end to spiritual blindness. Education does not bring an end to spiritual blindness. You can memorize from Genesis right down to the book of Revelation. You can understand all the little concepts and everything. But unless you're converted, you cannot really live for God. You need traditions. You need, you need mechanics. You need the band to bring the Spirit in. When you only need the band to bring the Spirit in, you ain't got the Spirit. Because when the music stopped, the Spirit stopped. That's not the Spirit. The early church did not need a band on the day of Pentecost. Uh, music is good. It has its place. But we are so caught up with performance I was telling the brothers this morning, I said, when I was out there in religion, you know, we condemn Babylon, we condemn religion. When I wanted a crusade, I want to have an open-air meeting or a crusade, I prayed and I fasted and I waited on God to provide the money. I didn't beg, never believe in begging. The most embarrassing thing was when I came to the States and they collected an offering from me in front of the people. We never did that. And it says, we'll collect an offering for brother and sister sing. I said, oh God, they're doing this publicly. We never did that. We never ask for money. We never solicit funds. We never turn up at dinner time at your house. We trusted God and we fasted and prayed. And if we had a meeting coming up, like if we had the October meeting coming up and the Thanksgiving meeting is coming up, <clears throat> right now there'll be a group of individuals fasting and praying all the time for that meeting. Not trying to get the band numbers right. Not finding out what we'll give them to eat and how we want the facilities look. We have changed from what the early church did. Jesus sent them to fast, to tarry, and to wait for the promise of God. We don't tarry. We just want to whip something up and hold that the children. We can tell them some things to speak. And hope they speak. And we call that the Holy Ghost. That is why we're struggling. Because we need what Revelation 11 talks about. And here in Matthew chapter, chapter 15. Jesus condemned the traditions. Because he, his disciples did not. Uh, washed their hands, and so the Pharisees came, and they're there. Uh, they said to Jesus in verse 2, Matthew 15, verse 2, scribes and the Pharisees said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? They are transgressing, breaking the law of our forefathers. Uh, they're not following the protocol. And you know, this is the reason why when the Lord sent, uh, decided to send John out, listen to me, when the Lord decided to send John, who was John? He was the son of a priest. In those days, you can recognize a priest 
from his garments. Amen. For the son of a priest to claim that God called him to preach the gospel, even though his father prophesied on him, John did not come looking like a priest. He came looking the way God wanted him to look to aggravate the sophisticated Pharisees of that time. You know that guy with the camel here? No, I don't know him. Oh yes, you know him. That's John. That's Zacharias' son. You know Zacharias the priest? That's his... Oh, no, no, no. That's not his son. He's too rugged. And God did that to kill the spiritual hypocrisy. It worked to a certain extent and it didn't work to a certain point. And so Jesus was dealing with this. They were condemning the tradition because the disciples did not wash their hands. And that is why Jesus said, verse 11, you hypocrites. He says, uh, well, did Isaiah prophesy saying, this people draw nigh unto me with their mouth and honor at me with their lips, but their heart is far from me for in vain. They're going to church in vain. They're worshiping in vain. The religious element in Jesus' days were worshiping God and going to the temple and studying the law of God in vain. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Everybody say in vain. Useless. And we have, we read that and we say, oh boy, those hypocrites. No, no, no. Ask ourselves the question. I hope we're not doing what we're doing here in vain. It is time for us to re-examine and examine and re-examine. Because when we're going through a trial, we want to understand what God's doing in our lives. Then in chapter 16, the Pharisees came again and attempted Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples, he said here in verse 6, Then said Jesus, take heed and beware not of the dogs. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Sadducees. He says, they have, didn't they believe in Torah, the Torah? Didn't they believe in the moral law of God? Yes, they did. But the tradition that was not included in the moral law of God, but was man-made, overpowered the moral law. So they had all kinds of little traditions you've got to keep. If you don't keep it, you're not a body person. Did God give us those traditions? And that is important. And we are coming into that era of time where we need to examine traditions that are not based on scripture. What is wrong in washing your hands? Not, that's very hygienic. But if you're condemning me because I didn't wash my hand, you think I'm a sinner, then your scripture, the scriptures you're using, is fouled up. And the Pharisees, their doctrine, their dogma, their tradition, Jesus condemned. He says, beware of it. And the disciples, then they understood in verse, in verse uh, 20, 12, then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisee and of the Sadducees. That's not theological doctrine. That's customs and habits that make you feel like, oh, we got God. An outward manifestation of order and dogma, uh, and, and dogma in the sense of human traditions does not convert the heart. But when the heart is converted, the outer man will appear 
properly clothed with the right frame of mind and garment. If we just dress the outer man and we don't cater for the inner man, we are on our our spiritual collapse. Are you following me? Now, I don't know if I want to get back into all these scriptures, but here in Colossians, uh, Colossians, uh, one of the remarkable examples, how much minutes I've got? Seven minutes. Uh, One of the remarkable examples, listen to me as you hold your finger in Colossians, the first chapter, but one of the remarkable examples that we have is the Apostle Paul, circumcised the eighth day, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was not a hypocritical Pharisee. He says, touching the righteousness which is in the law, the moral righteousness in the law, blameless. But he might have already also included a lot of other added laws. And then when Paul came to the Lord, the Lord had to convert the man who thought he was already converted and serving God. He had to get converted from being a Pharisee into being a disciple of Christ. And the things that were gained to me, he said, I counted but dung that I might win Christ. And I often ask myself, is there a lot of things we do is but spiritual dung in the sight of God that should be eliminated so the Spirit of God can touch our lives and bring a godliness that comes from within. Amen. Amen. When the Spirit of God moves in the church, lives change. When the outpouring may is made, the outpouring in Revelation 11 cannot be made until the temple is measured. But the temple cannot be measured unless some preachers and some ministers get on their knees and seek God for a measurement. Say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want everybody to dress this way? Tell me, Lord, please. And if he doesn't give you permission, then you've got to understand what the Lord wants. The temple must be measured. The altar must be measured. And them that worship therein is measured. And if it was already measured, John would not have received a reed like unto rod. And God wouldn't tell him to measure. And if they already have the Spirit of God moving, you know, there's a song. The Spirit is moving, there's a, the Holy Ghost will set your heart on fire. You know, everybody feel the Holy Ghost is moving all over the world. Guess what? If the Holy Ghost was moving, then God did not say, I'll give power to my two witnesses in Revelation, the 18th chapter. We need a revamping. We re- need a rebaptizing of the Holy Ghost in our lives. And so when Paul received that conversion experience, he had a count. All the years of study and knowledge has done that he might win Christ. Did he take the moral law and flushed it? No. He take additional tradition and formalities. And there were good traditions that I don't have time to get into tonight. But in the second, uh, second epistle of Paul writing to the Thessalonians, he talked of good traditions that should be followed. There are good traditions that we have that we should not give up. But there's some traditions that we might have that don't make sense. And it only puts people, force people to look like a child of God. 
But when you're a child of God and God converts you, it would work from inside. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, And God who delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Isn't that wonderful when we can receive that? When you receive that translation, you don't love darkness anymore. You find that darkness is slowly taken away out of your life. You might have a little bit here, a little bit there, but you can drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils at the same time. It brings, that's what you call a conversion. Not Sunday morning Christian, devil back on Monday. Are you listening to me? And so Paul went on, he says, whom we have redemption through his blood and even the forgiveness of our sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And he goes on to say, for by him were all things created. Talks about Jesus. But you see the point I want you to understand here. We can only walk worthy uh, unto all pleasing if the Lord has translated us. We need to be translated from darkness into the kingdom of light. The kingdom of his dear son. The kingdom of Jesus has light. We all need to pray every day, oh God. Please work a genuine conversion in my life. Forgive me of my sins today. Oh Lord, help me not to sin tomorrow. And if I do, forgive me again tomorrow. But I want to experience conversion where I can turn from darkness into light and walk in the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you once again for a good Wednesday night. We thank you, Lord, for the way you help us in services, night after night, service after service. But more than all, Father, we ask tonight that you would help us, that this conversion experience and this being translated out of darkness into the kingdom of light, please, O oh God, translate your people. Translate us, save us, convert us. God, that we can give up traditions, even though some might look good, it might not be necessary for a Christian walk. Father, like Paul, who is a marvelous example, help us to be, O oh God, able to be translated and transformed by your presence. We need your Holy Ghost more than ever, Father. Bless this weekend, we ask, as we head towards it, Father, and may your word remain in our hearts. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen, amen and amen and amen.